Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 244, Clement Twelfth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Today's Pope was born on April 7th, 1652. His name was Lorenzo Corsini. He was a member of a prominent Florentine noble family, which already featured a cardinal as a prominent member. And so he studied in Rome and then in Pisa, where he got a degree in canon and civil law, which is kind of the standard role we've seen so far. He practiced law in Rome with his uncle, Cardinal Corsini, until his father died in 1685. Now, he wasn't originally destined for the church. His family wanted him, in fact, to pursue a secular career and to succeed his father. But he decided instead to waive his noble titles and enter the service of the church. He purchased a position in the Roman Curia, which, if you remember, that's kind of how things were done back then. And he got to work in various roles in the papal bureaucracy. On April 10th, 1690, Pope Alexander VIII appointed him a titular archbishop and planned to send him as a nuncio to the Habsburg Holy Roman Emperor in Vienna. He was not yet ordained, so he had to be ordained a priest. And then on June 18th, he was ordained to the episcopacy. But the Emperor Leopold was angry at Pope Alexander VIII for who he had appointed as cardinals, and he refused to accept now Archbishop Corsini as the new nuncio. He said instead the Pope should give the emperor three names, and then the emperor would pick one, and then it would all be okay. But the Pope said, of course, no, and Archbishop Corsini never made it to Vienna into his service as nunciature. Instead, Archbishop Corsini was appointed treasurer of the Holy See in 1696, where he learned a tremendous amount about the economics of the papal states, and which would serve him well in the future. In 1704, he was asked to investigate the brother of the Cardinal Secretary of State who had been accused of being too favorable to French troops in the northern part of the Papal States. It was a delicate job, done very well, and his execution of his task probably led him to being named a Cardinal in May of 1706 by Pope Clement XI. Now, he continued to serve in a variety of appointments as Cardinal, and he was widely respected by everyone. He was prudent, knowledgeable, and able to address the challenges of the time. As Pope Benedict XIII's papacy was coming to a close, those challenges were growing. If you remember from last episode, he wasn't particularly good at government, as holy as he was, and his chosen advisors were ruining the papal states financially and morally. So when Pope Benedict died in 1730, the cardinals were in need of someone who could really right the ship. Now, if you remember from last time, Pope Benedict's chief advisor was Cardinal Cascia, who manifestly abused his office and led a lot to chaos in Rome. The people of Rome and all the other cardinals hated him to boot, so it didn't work out very well for him. The Cardinal Camerlengo, who was in charge while there was no pope, kicked all of Cardinal Cascia's friends and hangers-on out of the Vatican immediately at the death of the pope. Cardinal Cascia was so hated by the people of Rome that he decided to lay low to a friend's house for a decent amount of time. He sent his bags ahead of him, and then he had himself carried out of the Vatican on a stretcher in the dead of night to escape the crowds. But eventually they found out where he was and they surrounded the house and broke every window in the house with stones. Cardinal Cascio escaped again at night and left Rome entirely. And only 40 days later did he sneak back into Rome to participate in the conclave. The conclave was another four-month-long affair as different candidates were rejected by various factions and vetoed by various kings. Finally, in July of 1730, the cardinal settled on Cardinal Corsini as a compromise. He was a competent prudent man, but he was old. He was 78 years old, in fact, and he was basically blind. By the time he was pope, like the third year of his papacy, he was basically completely blind. He took the name Clement Twelfth after Clement Eleventh, who had made him a cardinal and whom he sought to imitate. Now, his first big task was writing the finances of the papal states, which were in a really bad shape. 
in dealing with the corruption of Cardinal Cossia. Cardinal Cossia fled to Naples, but when he was threatened with excommunication, he returned to Rome and stood trial, and eventually was found guilty of extortion, embezzlements, and abuse of office. He was deprived of his status as a cardinal and sent to prison for 10 years. Pope Clement then applied himself to cleaning up the finances. That was a much more challenging endeavor, but one that he was particularly skilled at. He had the experience with financial matters. Pope Benedict XIII had banned the lottery in Rome for moral reasons. Pope Clement brought it back for financial ones, and it it worked somewhat. It gave him some revenue, but overall, he became poorer and poorer as Pope as time went on, and he didn't have much success in really cleaning things up, and his successor would have more to do. But some of that newfound revenue from the lottery he was able to use to refurbish some of the Roman monuments that had fallen into disrepair and found various schools for missionaries, and he, he particularly founded a school for missionaries to be sent to Greek-speaking areas and the Eastern Church. Now, politically, the story isn't much different from previous papacies, and I'm not going to go into various details about which duchy switched where and which cardinal wanted what. The Pope didn't have much to say with the European affairs, and like previous popes, when duchies like Parma or kingdoms like Sicily were swapped between different royal families— even though they technically fell under the jurisdiction of the Pope, no one really asked the Pope's permission or advice or really cared what he had to say about the matter. They just did what they want. And so the papacy doesn't seem to speak on a larger scale in the political arena of the time. Now, one of the areas where it did continue to speak and was successful was in the continued fight against Jansenism. By this point, Jansenism was basically dead, and the Pope's efforts to combat it pushed it kind of into the grave. It's still going to resurface every once in a while, but it's basically done. And one key area where this happened was his promotion of St. Thomas Aquinas. The Jansenists claimed that the Dominican School of Theology was basically on their side. And the Pope showed in a document called Verbo Dei that the correct interpretation of St. Thomas's teaching was actually not Jansenist. Part of this move was to theologically undercut the Jesuits. If you remember, the Jesuits were the big opponents of the Jansenists, and they weren't as popular, in certainly in noble circles in Europe, but even in the papacy of Pope Clement XII, he was not a, necessarily a huge supporter of them, and so it undercut them a little bit theologically to show that, no, there's a different school of thought which was able to be used against Jansenist teaching. And this story about the Jesuits is only going to increase over the next couple episodes. In the next like four episodes, we're going to be talking a lot about various people's pro- or anti-Jesuit feelings. Another way of defeating the Jansenists came with the canonization of St. Vincent de Paul. He had been a firm opponent of the Jansenists himself. The French Parliament, which was like kind of the last holdout of Jansenism politically, refused to acknowledge the canonization, but they were shot down by the king and the king's ministers. Now, the fact that the Pope was so old as election and his total blindness was added to by other maladies of old age, and he was an infirm Pope in a lot of ways. He was 78 years old when he was elected, so you know the pressures of office were probably difficult as is. On February 6, 1740, at the age of 88, he died after a long illness. He was buried in the Basilica of St. John Lateran, and he was succeeded by Pope Benedict XIV. And we will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>